Lord, I thank you this morning that you are long-suffering. You don't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And Lord, we don't want to take for granted your long-suffering. We don't want to go on and on as if that day you spoke about will never come. When the door is shut and it's over, whether by death, whether by your return, but one day there is no voice calling, there's no second chances, it's over. And the eternal fate of the soul is determined. You understand this. That's why you pursue. That's why you're long-suffering. That's why you withhold your judgment, even though we deserve it. Because you understand. God, help us to understand the way you understand. God, open our eyes to the reality of the time and how short it is. Your reality, Lord, that the door is about to shut, close. The reality that there's people drowning. They're dying all around us every moment, every second of soul. And there's eternity without you. And we go about life hardly mindful. We still gravitate to those earthly things, Lord, when there's an eternity before us. And so many others, Lord, that have not found you, that are lost, they're dying, they're on their way to destruction. And so many times we're so undisturbed by it. It's not right. Yet you're grieving. You're grieving. That's why you're long-suffering. God, I pray you'd open our hearts. Open our eyes to the things that matter. Lord, I pray you would drive that religious spirit out of your church. The church. Not this church. The church. That would somehow compartmentalize you as a part of life. No, Lord. You are life. You are everything. You're everything or you're nothing. And many have made you less than everything. Speak to us, Lord. Awaken us. Bring us back to our first love where you are everything. Remind us, Lord, of the talents you've given to us, the mercy money, 
Remind us, Lord, that we're stewards of what You've given to us. You expect us, Lord, to be about Your business of saving souls, of giving out the mercy You've given to us, of warning, of calling, of compelling others to come in before the door is shut. God, make that more real to us today. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning, I pray. Help us to hear Your voice, Lord. Help us not to see a man, a personality. Help us to hear Your voice, Lord. Speak to us. Humble us. Open up our understanding, Lord, so that we'll know what You know, that we'll see what You see, Lord. And it would disturb us. It would compel us to go. So, Lord, just have Your way. Speak to us through Your Word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of... uh, what I want to share with you this morning is Jesus is all or he's nothing. And we're going to go through Luke 14 and there's two things I want you to leave with today. Jesus is all or he's nothing and the urgency of the day we are living in. It is urgent. We need an urgency in our hearts. And you'll, you'll understand what that is. This whole chapter, Jesus is dealing with religion. In other words, putting God or a self-made way to God that has things we do but where He is not the center, where He is not everything. Where we pride ourselves on our position, on the honor we have before men. Where our hearts still pursue the things of this world. Where we're earthly minded instead of heavenly minded. But yet, we call ourselves the people of God. That's was the state of the Jews in Jesus' day. And that's who he's speaking to here in the beginning, the Pharisees, who invited him to a feast. It was a big deal. All the prominent people were there. And they invited Jesus, the Son of God, to their feast. But really, they had ill intentions. Because already they saw him as a threat. And they were hoping they could catch him in error so that they could claim him a false prophet or a false teacher or stop the people from going to him instead of them. I don't know exactly what their motive was. 
But they were very skeptical of Jesus. And it says, when they invited him, they watched him closely. So let's start here in verse 1. Luke 14. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rules of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And it's, it was an incurable disease, I believe, where water gathers in different parts of the body. So he was probably disfigured. Probably wasn't very pleasant to be around. I don't know if they invited him. I don't know if it was a member of the family. I know people would come from the outside when they would have gatherings like this. I don't know how he got there, but he was there. And they were watching Jesus. And this is what they were thinking. It's interesting because Jesus knew what they were thinking. And Jesus said and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He knew what they were thinking. But they kept silent. And he took him, this man, and he healed him. And he let him go. And then he answered them, saying, Now which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? But it says they could not answer him regarding these things. They were blind. Jesus just healed a man in their midst. And they were questioning someone that would heal on the Sabbath. They were more concerned about their traditions and the things they believed were right to get into the kingdom of God. Their own self-made religion. And Jesus is trying to show them there's something more important than your religious exercises and religious do's and don'ts. You see, pride and self-righteousness, man-made religion, will argue and debate over all these secondary things even when there's someone dying, sick, a soul on the verge of eternity, someone who is into religion, will we all focus on these secondary issues, not even understanding what's more important to God? Mercy. They couldn't answer Him. They were blind. They were so earthly-minded. They couldn't see. They were looking at the wrong things. For them, it was about power. It was about position. It was about honor among men. It was about a religion that they could follow which wouldn't hinder their earthly pursuits. Their own way to God. No different than the watered-down gospel that is peddled today in America. So he told them a parable. To those who were invited. And he noted, he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, 
Don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place. In other words, you should just be glad you were invited. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. You're my honored guest. I want you to sit next to me. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. We see this same spirit in the disciples. Remember, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Who would be next to Jesus at his right hand. And Jesus said to them, He who's least in the kingdom of God is the greatest. See, when you're earthly minded, you're trying to be the greatest always. And it it all has to do with who you're aligned with, who you know. That's what the Pharisees were into. It's the pride of man. It's earthly mindedness. But the mind of Christ is different. The mind of Christ doesn't seek power. It doesn't seek to be honored or known. It's willing to humble itself. It's willing to take the lowest place. It's willing to just serve and give itself for others. And Jesus is trying to help these religious men. And then he also said in verse 12 to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, if you really understood the mercy of God, you would be willing to give without expecting anything in return. And we see this picture in Matthew 25 where we are stewards. We, we have been given talents by God. We have been given much by God. And God expects us to do something with it, not expecting anything in return. Our time on earth should be spent in our Father's business. Our whole time here should be spent giving out what God has given to us. If it's real to us, if we really understood what God has done to us, what He has given to us, we would joyfully give everything we have, especially to those who could not repay us. Understanding our reward is is waiting for us in heaven. Our reward is simply serving our Master. We do it for Him. Because He gave everything for us. So one of them at the table, when he heard these things, said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, this is true. 
But now Jesus shows who they are who will do that. So he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. And he said to his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And this call, Jesus is showing a picture here of those who are already invited. It's the Jews. They already had an invitation. They were already chosen. We could categorize that as people in church. They've already heard an invitation. But now is the time to respond. Jesus is here. They don't understand. The Pharisees don't understand. But today is the day of salvation. Jesus is here. And it's time to respond to the call, to the invitation that's going forth. Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. There is God in the person of Jesus. The door that we go through to enter heaven standing in their midst, giving the invitation. The table prepared. Eternal life being offered. And they all began to make excuses why they couldn't respond. The first said, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. I ask you, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to text, test them. I ask you, have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Three excuses. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this life. The three things Jesus shows us that crushes or chokes out the Word of God, the Gospel call, when it is given to different kinds of hearts. Each differs from the other, but they all come to the same result. We have other things to attend to, more pressing, more important than the invitation that's going forth. The guests had already made their arrangements, either for business or pleasure, without the least regard for the hour of the banquet. There's an urgency in the air now. Just as there was an urgency then. They had waited hundreds of years for the promised Messiah, and here he is. The hour had come, and they were unaware. There was no urgency. They couldn't see. They were blind. We're reaching the final hour of history. We're in the last hours of history. The world is winding up. There's prophecy being fulfilled at lightning speed all around us. The days are growing darker and darker and darker, just like in the days of Noah. But yet there's no urgency. First Corinthians seven twenty nine says, This I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should 
be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use this world but not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. If it was urgent then, it's even more urgent now. They're really misplaced priorities that we see here than excuses. Misplaced priorities. Now, I'm thankful for this body because I know most of you have answered this call. You're getting your priorities right. Praise the Lord. But there's many who haven't. There's many sitting in churches today, their priorities are all out of whack. They don't understand. They don't see. They don't understand the hour. And they're, they're unaware of the perishing souls every moment dying around them. Undisturbed by it. Caught up in the cares of this life. Pursuing the things of this world. Distracted by so many different things. When eternity is at the front door, it's knocking. The door is about to close to the ark. We are his servants. You understand? We are the servants that it should be going out and saying, It's ready! Everything is ready! Come in! We should be the ones compelling them to come in. So we see here, it starts with people in the church. And God has been calling, 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 calling. COVID was a great call. The call is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It's time, it's time. Wake up, wake up. Get your eyes on the things that really matter. Shaking, 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 shaking. I can't right now. Please excuse me. So the servant came and told the master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly. Urgency. Urgency. This is urgent. This isn't, oh, hey, tomorrow you think you can. Go out quickly. Quickly. The door is about to shut. There's no time to waste. Go out quickly. Go into the streets. Go into the lanes and say, get outside of the walls of this church. Get out there. Go out to the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Bring them in here. Bring them into my banquet hall. Everything's ready. And the servant said, Master, has done as you commanded. 
but still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go! Go! It's the heart of God. He doesn't desire that any would perish. Get as many as you can to your last breath. Get as many as you can before it's too late. Rescue them! Go! Before it's too late. Don't waste any more time. Go! Go! Go out to the highways and hedge. Compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. That's the harvest, people. He's sending the laborers out. Go, go. That's our commission. That's what he spoke to us, right? A month and a half ago. Go. Go in my anointing. Preach the gospel to the poor. Open blind eyes. Heal the sick. Loose the captives. Set them free. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's time. Go. That's us. The church. We're to bear the Master's call. He sends us out. Go tell them. Compel them. Declare everything's ready. Go out. Proclaim it. Do we have an urgency? To share the Gospel with the, those the Master wants us at His feast. Are we consumed by it? Is there an urgency in our hearts? Do we understand what's at stake? I got a little taste this morning. Sometimes God lets us share a little bit of what He feels. It's unbearable. I think He withholds. He doesn't let us share everything He because we couldn't bear it. But that's his heart. He loves people. He loves souls. He doesn't desire that any would perish. We see his heart in Christ. We see it. Where God lets go, he, he's willing to humble himself. God. The one that deserves honor. The one is in his rightful position. He doesn't grasp it. He's willing to come down and humble himself. Become guilty even though he's innocent. He just doesn't care about his reputation. He's consumed with the Father's heart to rescue souls. Because he understands. He understands eternity. He understands a hell for all eternity. And He doesn't desire that any would perish in that hell. Compel them. Compel them. 
We're told we are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ were pleading through us. It's not just an invitation in ink. It's through people. It's through vessels. We've tasted it. We've gotten the invitation. We've tasted of Him. We've gotten a little taste of what's awaiting us. I remember when Rose and I got married. To this day, people tell us that wedding was the best wedding we ever went to. It was phenomenal. And we went to taste, to get a taste of what they would serve at the wedding. I'd never experienced anything like that. 30 different appetizers, all different kinds of, and everything was excellent. And we thought, wow, what's the wedding going to be like? How do you even compare that? It's not even worthy comparing to what we've tasted of God. What He's allowed us a little bit to understand of Him and the wonder of just being with Him and in His presence and partaking of Him and what awaits us in heaven. What's prepared for us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. But we've tasted, we know. We're called to be His servants, to go. And if we've tasted, if we know, we should be compelling others. If everything's ready, He's made a way. You don't have to die in your sins. There's something better than what you are experiencing right now. The hell you're living in now. The hopelessness. I remember what that was like, but I've tasted I see now. My eyes have been opened. He's already brought heaven into my heart, into my life. He's given me a living hope. I know where I'm headed now. I know what I was made for. I feast daily with Him. You have to share that out of experience. That doesn't come just transferring head knowledge. It comes to because you've tasted, because you know He's better. He's everything to you. Nothing compares to Him. You've made Him everything. Now, after this, great multitudes went with Him. And he turned to them and he said to them, and he shows us now the reality of who gets to go in to the feast. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be 
my disciples. Jesus didn't win disciples by watering down what it meant to follow him. If anything, he put it out there and he, and he was going to see, he tells him, listen, you need to count the costs. This is going to cost you everything in this life. Salvation's free, but there is a cost. He wouldn't have men follow him without knowing the terms upon which he would receive them as disciples. I used to say this all the time, and it's true. All that will matter in the end is what Jesus said and what you did with what he said. That's it. That's all that's going to matter. When you stand before him, it's not going to matter what I thought, what your friend thought, or whoever. What the guy on YouTube thought, it's all that's going to matter is what Jesus said and what I did about what he said. How did I respond to his invitation? Cheap grace is the idea that grace did it all for me, so I don't need to change my life. Jesus is just an add-in or an add-on. The believer who accepts the idea of cheap grace thinks he can continue to live like the rest of the world instead of following Christ in a radical way. That was a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who died for Christ. And then he says in verse 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited will taste my supper. And we see pictures of this, the reality of this. Choosing the passing pleasures of this world, being forever shut out, left outside of the kingdom of God. And I hate to say it, there's a lot of people in churches that are going to hear those 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 frightful words, I never knew you. But we see many pictures in the scriptures of this. You know, the, the person that is just consumed with getting comfortable and getting set and their hopes in the things of this world. The man with the barns, right? I'm going to do everything I can so I can take my ease, I can enjoy life. And what's the word? You fool. You fool. You're, you're making your security in this life and you don't understand tonight your soul is required of you. Well, the foolish virgins. We have ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. They look the same. They sound the same. But there's something different inside. Five hearts were pierced with the reality of their lostness. With the reality that their only hope was what Jesus did for me. The reality that there's no way for me to God except through the cross. Because I'm the vilest of vile. My sin runs so deep. There is no remedy for me outside of what Jesus did. But He had mercy on me. He cleansed me. He washed me. He came and dwelt, dwells inside of me. He put His Spirit within me. And I'm His and He is mine. And my whole life is given to Him. 
and He dwells within them. They have oil inside. The Spirit of God dwells in them. They're led by the Spirit. They're full of the Holy Spirit. And they walk in the Spirit. But the foolish ones, there's something different inside. There's no oil or very little. They're still living for themselves. They're still earthly-minded. They're still about the cares of this life. They're excusing themselves to a later time. They're putting it off. But now the hour has come. And the bridegroom's here. And everything is ready. And it's time. But they're not ready. And it's too late. And they're shut out. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man spent his life pursuing the desires of the flesh, the comforts of this world. Not understanding that though he gained the whole world, one day he lost his soul. And he's in hell. And there's no comfort there. He's not feasting on earthly things anymore. He's thirsty. He's, he's burning in fire. And he can see Abraham with a poor beggar that used to beg outside that he wasn't mindful of, that the, those people that we walk by every day that we don't see. See, when your heart is not change when your heart is not surrendered, when your heart hasn't been pierced by the mercy of God, you're unaware of souls. You're in darkness. It's just all about you, and it was all about him, and he maybe didn't even see this. Maybe he did, whatever, but he just paid no mind to him. But now that beggar is in heaven, and he's crying out for mercy, but there is no mercy. And he's told there's a gulf between you and I. It's fixed. There's no escape for you. Your eternal fate has been sealed. But even in that state, he thinks about his brothers and he pleads with Abraham, please send someone to my brothers. Tell them. So they don't come to this place. But what does he say to them? That, listen, they've heard. They've had the They've heard Moses, Abraham, whatever. Even if someone rises from the dead. They're not going to listen. That's scary. There's a danger when we keep refusing the invitation, when we keep putting off God. There's a hardness that happens. Jesus basically told them, and He tells us, he must be everything or nothing. He claims first place in our hearts. He needs to be so paramount that for His sake, everything, everything about our lives would be relinquished for Him. Do we love Him with an all-absorbing affection? 
It's really about understanding the invitation that He's given to us, unworthy sinners such as we are. It's being in our first love. You know, I'm sure some of us can remember the reality of when God saved us. Like, we just wanted to tell everybody. Because we tasted it. It was far beyond what we could ever imagine. It's the reality that I'm this dirty, filthy, sinner, harlot, through and through, but yet the King of Glory has brought me into His banquet hall. He's invited me. He's joined Himself to me. He's cleansed me. He's washed me. I'm His. And we're going to be married. We're going to be one. I'm welcomed in His presence. I, I get to sit at His table. Me. A worthless, vile, wretched sinner. He's invited me to His banquet table. And He's called me to sit next to Him in heavenly places. I love Him. I'd be lost. I'd be in hell for all eternity if you love Him for Him. He deserves everything of me. I remember when that happened for me. I knew my life's over. It's his now. Yeah, we struggle. We take things back and he's got to constantly remind us, no, that's mine. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But he deserves everything. It's all or nothing with Jesus. It, it, there is no other disciple in Jesus' eyes. It's either everything or nothing. We've somehow made it, we could have half of Jesus and half of the world. Or somehow we can have a divided heart. Jesus it makes it very clear. He's everything or he's nothing. And then he says, listen, you really need to, you need to understand what this means. Like he says, verse 28, because which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish. And then all who begin to see it mock him. What king going out to make war against another king doesn't sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation, he asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does forsake all mean? It means I let go of my life. I let go. I don't cling to the things of this life. I hold them very loosely. At any moment, I'm willing to just walk away from everything. If He calls me to the mission field, if He asks me to do this, it, nothing holds me. Everything is surrendered to Him. I don't hold my life dear in this world. I don't hold my possessions. I don't hold anything dear in this life. It's all His. I surrender my thinking to Him. And I let the mind of Christ rule and reign in me. I don't seek honor. I don't seek position in this world. I don't seek to be in honorable places around honorable people like the world does. 
I'm willing to be a nobody. I'm willing to take the lowest place. I just, I'm happy I'm there. I'm just happy I can serve him and be one of his servants. I'd rather be, right, a, what is it, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than one day than thousands in the house of the wicked. I'm just happy I got invited. I don't deserve it. Who am I that I should be in His presence, welcomed in His halls? Me? Yeah. Yes. It's amazing. He was giving me little glimpses of it last night. I was just, I was like, Lord, just remind me, remind me, remind me, remind me. I got so overwhelmed last night. I was like, Lord, I'm just tasting, I'm just seeing a little bit. It, this is way beyond what I could ever imagine, think, or imagine. What you have done for me, where I'm headed, what you have in store for me. And the more you focus, the more you remember, the more you, you get over the Word, the more you let Him reveal that to you, it's easy to let go. You don't want anything but Him. And that's what it means. Return to your first love. Get your eyes on Him. Remind yourself of where your true treasure is. It's Jesus. He's the pearl. He's worth everything. He's the treasure in the field. There's nothing in this world you can even compare to Him. If you don't do that, you won't endure. You won't endure. You won't have what it takes to finish the race He set before you. And I don't really care how you take that. Someone who's truly in the faith will endure, will persevere to the end. Someone that has truly been born again and has fully surrendered their hearts to God will fix their eyes on Him, the author and the finisher of their faith. And they will endure. They will persevere. No matter what, because they're fully surrendered to Him. They understand what He has done for them. And they understand the rest of their life on this earth is about being His servant and compelling others to come in. There's nothing else in this world worth living for except His will and His purpose and rescuing souls. That should be our what we're consumed with while we're still here. With Him, but with also His business, which is saving souls. We're those servants. Go out quickly. Go. Tell them. Compel them. You see. You see everything's ready. You, I've let you look. You've been in the banquet hall. You see what's awaiting you. You understand what I've prepared. Now go tell others. Go tell others what I did for you. Go tell others about the invitation. Go tell others. Philippians 3.7, Paul said, What things were gained to me, I've counted lost for Christ. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I counted all as rubbish. It's all nothing. It's dung compared to knowing Him, that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, 
which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, it's getting more and more real to me. We might not be called to do that, do this, but we should be ready to lose everything tomorrow. To truly suffer with Him. Suffering that none of us here really understand. We should be ready tomorrow to be martyred for Christ. That's what it means to forsake all. That's what it means. He's everything or nothing. That's what it means. It's urgent. There's souls perishing. Who cares if I perish? Who cares if I lose everything? If one soul can be saved. If God can use my life. If God can use my suffering. For one soul, it's worth it. Because I understand. Salt is good. But if it loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, outward Christianity without an inward reality is like salt. That's supposed to be a preserver supposed to savor, but has lost its power to do that. It looks like salt, but it's lost its power to preserve, to give life. And it's the same with religion. But if we have made Jesus everything, and we've given Him everything, and He is everything to us, and we are about His business, then we are the salt of the earth. And we are those servants that go forth proclaiming the gospel to the poor, to the blind. Proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. One day the door will be shut to the banquet hall. For some people, that could be today. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll really give God my all. How many times I've heard this. Tomorrow, as soon as I finish this or get through this season of business, then I'll commit everything to God. Jesus is all or he's nothing. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? All things are ready. All things are ready. And I said earlier, I know most of you have responded to this call. I just want to remind us this morning, there's an urgency. There's a call that God is calling us to go out and proclaim. To the lost, to the blind, to the hurting to the hopeless. And it's time for us 
to just let God remind us of that and, and to if, whether we got to resurrender, whatever we got to do to get our priorities and keep them where they need to be. I know what happens. We, we get it right, and then two weeks later, stuff starts creeping in again. And it's a constant battle. We have to keep reminding ourselves of the days we are living, of the urgency of the hour. There is a suffocating spirit of the world that is constantly vying for your attention, trying to get you distracted, trying to get you earthly-minded. Meanwhile, there's souls perishing around us. And it's urgent. We need to go quickly. We can't waste any more time. So my prayer this morning is that we would just remember Jesus is everything or he's nothing and the times are urgent. And that we would go or ask God, Lord, where do you want me to go? How do you want to use me, Lord? I want to be the servant that goes forth and proclaims and invites. I don't want to be the one making excuses. And that's going to be my prayer. And we're going to, we're going to worship again. But before we do that, is there anyone here? You've had the invitation, but you've made excuses. You haven't fully responded. You're still pursuing the things of this world. You're still caught up in the wrong things. And maybe you know God wants everything. But you've been putting him off. You cannot let one more day go by. You don't want to stand before God and have nothing to show for what he's given you. And God is calling you today to respond. To say, Lord, I hear. Lord, I thank you for giving me ears to hear. And I'm listening, but I also want to respond. Whatever that means for you. I'm done, Lord, with pursuing earthly things, with getting distracted. Lord, I want to be about your business the rest of the days or the, the little time I have here. To serve you and to compel others to come in. So if there's anyone here, just confess it out. You don't, I don't, you don't have to just say, that's me. I need prayer. I, I need to surrender to God. This isn't, who cares what anyone thinks? If that's you, just pray to God and we're going to believe with you. Just voice it to God in the presence of others. That you're surrendering, you're, you're, you're giving him everything today. Lord, I thank you that we are your servants. You've called us, you've invited us, Lord, to your banquet hall. I pray, Lord, that that reality would just become more and more real to us, Lord. That we're just servants, Lord. We're all the same before you, Lord. We're just unworthy sinners that you've had mercy on, Lord. Just remind us of the mercy of God, the love that you've shown to us, Lord. 
I pray, Lord, you would uh, remind us that you are the pearl of great precious price. You're worth everything, Lord. And I know, Lord, many here have made you everything, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us or give us a boldness, Lord, to share it with others, Lord. There is an urgency, Lord. The times are urgent, Lord. And I pray, God, that when we leave here, Lord, our lives would be those servants that are compelling others to come in before it's too late, Lord. God, I pray we would be consumed with the things that you're consumed with, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your heart would be our heart, Lord. So we're here today, Lord, and we thank you, God, for the privilege, Lord, for the honor of sitting with you, Lord, of being given access into your throne room, Lord. I pray we go with just simply grateful hearts, Lord, remembering the mercy that you've had on us, Lord, so that we can freely give it out to others, Lord. I pray you'd help us to let go of reputations of our own expectations, Lord. I pray, oh God, you would grant us the mind of Christ. God, I pray for much humility for all of us, Lord. I pray, oh God, we'd make it all about you, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would rule and reign supreme in our hearts, in this place, Lord, that we'd get our eyes off man and we'd fix them on you, Lord. And we'd be consumed with you and with your kingdom, Lord. Especially in the hour that we're living, God. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you afresh today, Lord. We say, Lord, here we are. Here we are, God. Use us. Send us, Lord. Compel us by your love, Lord, to compel others to come in to your banquet hall, Lord. So we thank you, God. We thank you for the mercy you've done to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to give that out to others, we pray.